Imagine this scenario with me. You're sleeping over at your best friend's house just for tonight. The two of you order takeout, maybe play some games, gossip about some of the people you know, and then decide to call it a night. You're staying in the guest room, and your friend is in their room, and for some reason you just can't fall asleep. You never really sleep that well when you're not in your own bed. So you scroll through Instagram or TikTok for what seems like just a few minutes, but when you look at the time, it is now three in the morning, and you're determined to get some sleep, so you get up to use the restroom, and when you're up, you notice the light is still on in your best friend's room. Maybe they can't sleep either, you think to yourself, so you walk to their door and you just knock on it, but there's no answer. So you assume that maybe they just left the light on, but something inside you urges you to just double check. You jiggle the door handle and it gives. The door opens up and your friend is lying face down in their bed. You call their name, still no answer. And you know this is weird because your friend is a pretty light sleeper. As you walk closer to them, you get this sinking feeling in your body that something is really wrong. You're standing above them, you reach your hand out closely towards them, and then you try to shake them awake, but their skin is cold to the touch. Now, panicking, you shake your friend violently while calling their name, but your worst fears have become your reality. They aren't waking up. They aren't breathing. Now, you tell me, what do you do next? I'll give you a second to really ponder that. Hopefully, you have never had to be in a situation like this, but if you were, what would be your gut reaction? Do you jump into action and check for a pulse and possibly try to perform CPR? Do you pull out your phone immediately and call 911 for assistance? Do you play detective and try to analyze the scene to determine what happened to your friend? Do you run out of your friend's house and try to find someone to help you? Or do you freeze up and sit there with your dead friend's body for an entire hour before ever calling the police? Truthfully, you would never really know how you're going to react to a situation like this until you're actually in it. And there's hardly a right or a better way to respond, but I think it's safe to say that there's definitely a wrong way. Waiting an hour to call for help for your friend would be the wrong way, and to police probably even seem pretty suspicious, right? Well, what if I told you that this was how Marilyn Monroe's death played out? That the time between when she was first discovered lifeless and when the cops were finally notified about her was a lengthy 55 minutes. But why? Why not call sooner? What happened in those 55 minutes? Who was there, and what reason would they have, if any, to kill the legendary beauty icon Marilyn Monroe? Crack Pops, are you in? Let's crack the case.
Welcome back to Crack Pop. My name is Jacob Granado, pop culture obsessor, enthusiast, and commentator. Each week, I will bring you along with me through all of my research as I attempt to crack pop cultures and humankind's darkest mysteries, conspiracies, and secrets. Today, we are following the conspiracy theory that actress Marilyn Monroe was actually murdered. When you hear the name Marilyn Monroe, what is the first image that pops into your mind? Probably any number of her iconic glamour shots with her perfectly swept platinum blonde hair, her enormous smile formed by her bright red lips, her famous beauty mark right above her lip, and probably a form-fitting white gown to complement her figure. And that is exactly how she has been forever memorialized in our minds because at just 36 years old, Marilyn's life was tragically cut short when she was discovered unresponsive in her bedroom at her home in Brentwood, California, the night of August 4th, 1962. But let me ask you something else. When you think about her death, what details do you actually know about it? If your mind immediately thought of suicide or an accidental overdose, you might be right. Because the official story goes that at around 3 a.m. on August 5th, 1962, Marilyn's housekeeper Eunice Murray notices a light coming from behind Marilyn's locked bedroom door. Murray runs outside to look in from her outside window where she sees Marilyn lying unresponsive in her bed. The housekeeper panics and phones Marilyn's lover and psychiatrist Ralph Greenson, who shows up 30 minutes later, breaks into her bedroom through the bedroom window, and discovers a lifeless Marilyn lying completely naked, face down, in her bed, hand still clutching the telephone receiver. Marilyn's personal physician, Dr. Hyman Engelberg, is then called and shows up at around 3.50 a.m., notices that rigor mortis has set in, and thus pronounces Marilyn dead at the scene. The police are finally called at exactly 4.25 a.m., and upon arriving, begin their investigation into Marilyn's death. What was almost immediately clear to everyone was that Marilyn had likely overdosed as a number of empty prescription pill bottles were found on her nightstand. And this seemed to be further cemented by the fact that after an autopsy was conducted on Marilyn by the LA County Coroner's Office, her death was ruled a probable suicide. A small funeral service for less than 30 people was held at Westwood Village Memorial Park Cemetery where she was laid to rest in a crypt at the Corridor of Memories, where she remains to this day. But that's just the official story, the official timeline of how the night of August 4th, 1962 played out. But if that timeline seems suspicious to you, like it does to me and an entire community of people who believe there's more to this story, then just wait. 
Personally, I have been wanting to cover the conspiracies surrounding Marilyn's death for a while now. It was actually one of the first conspiracies that came to mind when I was creating the concept for the show, and our entire logo is based off of Marilyn Monroe. Every time I post a call for episode suggestions, Marilyn's name is always, always the most requested one, and I wanted to do her story justice, so I can confidently say that officially, this episode is now the most in-depth, most researched one that I've done so far. So bear with me, it's going to be a long one, but you're going to learn a lot along the way. I have gone so, so deep down the rabbit hole into all of the theories surrounding her death that I thought I knew, like the Kennedys hiring somebody to kill her, but instead I came out with a whole lot more than I intended to, and I now believe I know who killed Marilyn Monroe. And if you think you know just where this story is headed, you would be gravely mistaken. Marilyn Monroe was born Norma Jean Mortensen on June 1st, 1926 in Los Angeles, California to her single mother, Gladys Baker. At first, life appeared promising for young Norma because although her mother Gladys was suffering pretty heavily financially and mentally, Norma was well looked after by family friends who would eventually become her foster parents. Gladys still played a role in her daughter's life though, visiting her every weekend and eventually she landed on her feet and was able to buy a home where she and seven-year-old Norma lived together. But not even a year into their new norm, Gladys suffered a mental breakdown and was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and for the rest of her life would come to live in and out of mental institutions, rarely seeing or being in contact with her daughter. Norma Jean became a ward of the state and was tossed from foster home to foster home where she was tragically sexually molested more than once at the hands of her foster parents. She even ended up living in an orphanage for some time, then back into the never-ending cycle of new foster parents, but ultimately she landed back in the care of one of the families that had sexually abused her. So as soon as she turned 16, in fear of returning to an orphanage or ever being hurt again and seeing no other way out, Norma Jean married the neighbor's 21-year-old son, James Doherty, a factory worker, and then dropped out of high school and moved with him to Catalina Island. It was during this short marriage that Norma began her slow transformation into the larger-than-life character of Marilyn Monroe. While working in a factory that manufactured airplane parts, she was introduced to a wartime photographer who convinced her to take up modeling, and against her husband's wishes, she signed with a modeling agency and changed her life forever. At first, Norma Jean was mostly posing for advertisements and men's magazines, but when she changed up her entire look and dyed her curly brunette hair platinum blonde, her modeling career really took off and would eventually get her signed with an acting agency where she officially changed her name to Marilyn Monroe. And the rest 
is history. She started out playing very minor roles in motion pictures, often with no spoken lines, and soon her and Doherty divorced because in her mind, he was only holding her back from her true potential. In between acting gigs, Marilyn never stopped modeling, sometimes even opting for nude photo shoots. And just when she started to gain national attention as an actress, the existence of these nude photos were made known to the public, and she found herself amidst her first public scandal. But if anything, this just catapulted her status as the blonde bombshell sex symbol that she would eventually become, and after getting critical acclaim from several of her film roles like Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, Niagara, and The Seven Year Itch, her status as a Hollywood legend was set in stone. At the height of her career, Marilyn married her second husband, baseball legend Joe DiMaggio on January 14, 1954, but it was short-lived and not even two years into the marriage, the couple divorced. Marilyn continued chasing after powerful men who were at the top of their fields, a trait of hers that might have resulted in her death. She dated actor Marlon Brando, then married her third and final husband, the playwright Arthur Miller, only for them to end in divorce four years later, and then had a fling with crooner Frank Sinatra. All the while, still tackling major film roles, but behind the scenes, something a lot darker was happening. Marilyn had fallen into the same trap that several Golden Age Hollywood actresses fell into, like Judy Garland, a cycle of barbiturates and uppers that resulted in a crippling drug dependency and a very, very damaged mental state. Allegedly, Marilyn had even attempted or at least threatened suicide a number of times with her ex-lovers whenever she felt them abandoning her. Marilyn's career also began sinking slowly as her reputation for being difficult to work with, skipping filming days, and showing up under the influence of barbiturates was catching up with her. And during this slump, Marilyn was admitted into a mental institution before beginning the work on the final film that she would ever get to work on, Something's Gotta Give. While filming this movie, Marilyn continued her reputation of missing filming days, and after developing sinusitis and becoming too sick to work, the Fox network sued Marilyn for $750,000 for lost production costs. She took a break from the film to make one last and very infamous public appearance on May 19, 1962, that would eventually go down as one of the most memorable performances in pop culture history. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Mr. President. Happy birthday to you, Mr. President, for all the things you've done, the battles that you've won, the way you deal with U.S. Steel, 
and our problems by the time we thank you so much. Everybody, happy birthday! Marilyn sang this sultry version of Happy Birthday to President John F. Kennedy at his birthday celebration at Madison Square Garden, which fueled the rumors that the two had been having a secret love affair. But were the two ever an item? Sources point to yes. It is clear that the two had been in each other's company at least four times that we know of. But on one occasion specifically, in March 1962, the two attended a party in Palm Springs, California at singer Bing Crosby's house, and things got steamy. According to Marilyn's close friend and personal masseuse, Ralph Roberts, Marilyn called him while she was attending this party to ask for advice on how to give a proper back massage and then put the president himself on the phone to speak to Roberts. She later admitted to this same friend that the two had indeed slept together that night, and thus, in her lifelong chase to captivate the most powerful of men, she had reached a height that she couldn't possibly have topped. An affair with the most powerful man in the entire first world, President John F. Kennedy. And then tragically, less than three months later, Marilyn was found dead. But was it this brief affair with President JFK that ultimately resulted in her death? Now that I have walked you through some of the biggest milestones in her life, I want to take you through the many theories surrounding Marilyn Monroe's tragic and eerily suspicious death. And we will try to answer the age-old question, who killed Marilyn? Here is the list of suspects that conspiracy theorists and historians alike have compiled around the young starlet's early demise, starting with the Kennedys. Suspect number one, the Kennedy family. During his presidency, while being married to then First Lady Jackie Kennedy, JFK was a known womanizer, and all politics aside, JFK spent as much time chasing women, going on vacations with them around the world, and sneaking them into the White House as he ever did actually doing his job as the nation's president. But his infidelity was no secret to his wife Jackie, who was reportedly pretty tolerant of his affairs as long as they were kept out of the public's attention. And perhaps Marilyn was too much of a threat to that secrecy, because allegedly, Marilyn even called up Jackie Kennedy one day to let her know that JFK was planning on asking Marilyn to marry him. And Jackie's response to her was, quote, That's great, and you'll move into the White House and assume the responsibilities of the First Lady, and I'll move out, and you will have all the problems. 
end quote. So maybe Jackie Kennedy was behind it all and felt that the perfect image of the nation's first family that they tried so hard to construct was being threatened. Or was President JFK himself to blame for Marilyn's death? Some believe that after two of the most powerful, most attractive individuals in America, the most famous politician and the most famous movie star, had slept with each other, JFK was content just moving on with his life, never to see Marilyn again. But to Marilyn, this affair meant so much more. It gave her a sense of validation, knowing that the young girl who was once passed around from foster home to foster home could grow up and secure a relationship with the most powerful man in the world, except it was one-sided. At the time of their affair, JFK was pretty new to the presidency, and with the possibility of re-election in the future, he had a lot to lose if Marilyn came forward with details confirming that the president was having extramarital affairs. So, to protect him from this irrevocable damage to his reputation, JFK, or someone close to him, had Marilyn killed. And who was closer to the president than his brother, Attorney General Robert Kennedy? Rumor has it that in addition to having an affair with the president, Marilyn was also briefly seeing his own brother, Robert, or Bobby Kennedy, and the two were a lot more involved than the president and Marilyn had ever been. And the Kennedy family's youngest sister, Jean Kennedy Smith, confirmed this when she penned a letter to Marilyn expressing her excitement about the news that she and Bobby were an item. The letter states, quote, I understand that you and Bobby are the new item. We all think you should come home with him when he comes back east, end quote. Robert had given Marilyn the attention that JFK could never have. He was more romantic, more involved, and a lot less of a playboy than his older brother. But the siblings did share one thing in common. They were both heartbreakers, and allegedly Bobby called off his relationship with Marilyn not long before she died, which sent her into a frenzy. Reportedly, Marilyn threatened to hold a press conference the Monday after what would become her final day alive to expose what the Kennedy brothers had done to her. During a phone call to her friend Peter Lawford, and please remember this name because we will come back to him very shortly, Marilyn said, quote, you tell him that if he doesn't fly down to see me and talk things over, he'll hear from me at my press conference Monday morning. It'll make headlines around the world, although not of the kind that would help Jack's bid for re-election." So was this the final straw for Marilyn? If Bobby didn't show up to her house that night, was it enough to send her into a spiral which ultimately led her to overdose and take her own life? There is one final reason that I find the Kennedy family suspicious though. Several witnesses, including an LAPD police officer and the LA mayor at the time, 
place Robert Kennedy near Marilyn's home in Brentwood on the night she passed away, leading some to speculate that he could have showed up at her house to call off the affairs between Marilyn and the two Kennedy brothers the night that she died, which might have added some fuel to the already burning fire inside Marilyn that would cause her to take her own life. Whatever that conversation might have entailed could have been the catalyst for Marilyn's death, or maybe it's all just hearsay, and their last meeting never actually happened. Regardless, other sources close to Marilyn cite her as being in positive spirits on the day that she died, so it makes sense to me that an unexpected and heartbreaking visit with some troubling news from Bobby could have had some damaging effects. Whether her death was set in motion by Bobby Kennedy or orchestrated at the demands of a jealous first lady, Jackie Kennedy, or even by a fearful president, JFK himself, we might never know for sure. But if it were indeed any of the Kennedys who had Marilyn Monroe killed, karma would soon come for the family because just over a year later, JFK was assassinated. And four years after that, Bobby too was assassinated. Suspect number two, the CIA. This one kind of goes hand in hand with the Kennedys, but according to historians, when JFK and Marilyn were seeing one another, he would whisper classified state secrets to her, like his plan to take out Cuban dictator Fidel Castro, which, if you need a history refresher, backfired miserably and became one of JFK's biggest failures as president. But allegedly, Marilyn had also known details about a future planned attack where the CIA was going to try and assassinate Castro, and since she had threatened to go public with details of her affairs with the Kennedy brothers, what was going to stop her from leaking this classified information too? To them, Marilyn was a ticking time bomb, so the CIA had no choice but to take her out before she leaked any confidential information to the world, and who could stage a death to look like an overdose better than the CIA? Marilyn also kept this very distinctive red diary, which she used to express all of her deepest emotions. So she must have wrote about the Kennedy brothers in it, and possibly even the government secrets in detail. While the diary was found at the scene of her death, confirmed by detectives who showed up to her home that fateful night, the diary somehow disappeared, was removed from the inventory of the crime scene, and has never been seen again. Another theory that I ran into about the CIA is a little bit more of a stretch. So you know how I said that it's been speculated that JFK shared some top secret government information with Marilyn? Well, the biggest secret of all that he leaked was the existence of Area 51 and aliens. 
And you really have to remember that during this time in American history, stories and conspiracies about aliens were a lot more prevalent and rampant than they are now. In a documentary in 2017, ufologist Stephen Greer admitted to owning the recordings of a phone call between JFK and Monroe, where the president went into extensive detail about a trip that he had made to Area 51 to, quote, inspect things from outer space, end quote. So in an attempt to keep the secrets hushed before Marilyn possibly leaked them along with her threat to leak the private details of her relations with the Kennedy brothers, the CIA stepped in and killed her, covered the scene up to make it look like a suicide, and then pressured the coroner's office to rule her death a probable suicide to make sure that the news of aliens or whatever else JFK let slip never made it to the public. Suspect number three, the Mafia. Whenever someone famous unexpectedly dies or goes missing, someone's usually got an entire theory about the Mafia or the mob being responsible. But in the case of Marilyn Monroe, the theory kind of makes a lot of sense. One of Marilyn's most famous former lovers, the singer Frank Sinatra, had a long history of involvement with the Mafia, specifically with the known mob boss of Chicago, Sam Giancana. Their history is complex, but what's important to know is that Sinatra owned a casino in Lake Tahoe called the Cal Neva Lodge Resort, and Giancana was one of his loyal partners. The FBI had caught on to this whole ordeal and were regularly monitoring the casino, so in order to sneak Giancana and his associates into the resort, rumor has it that Sinatra made use of the resort's Prohibition-era tunnels hidden deep beneath the resort to sneak them in. And Giancana and the rest of the Mafia had beef with JFK and his establishment, so much so that most conspirators believe that they were the ones behind his assassination in 1963. The source of their tensions was JFK's failed attempt at overthrowing Fidel Castro. Mafia bosses had invested heavily in the construction of several casinos in Cuba, but they were all closed down indefinitely following JFK's involvement there. So many Mafia members were out of a potential source of income and, as punishment, conspired to kill the president. But what does that have to do with Marilyn? Some believe that before their plans to assassinate JFK, the Mafia's plan was just to destroy his reputation so that his and his entire family's political dynasty would end as quickly as it began. So Giancana, knowing about both of the Kennedy brothers' affairs with Marilyn, got her involved and ordered her to invite the Kennedy brothers to Sinatra's Cal Neva Resort. The goal? To capture video footage of both or either of the Kennedy brothers engaging in sex with Marilyn. But this was unbeknown to her. So on the weekend of July 28, 1962, the final weekend before Marilyn's death, 
the actress arrived at the Calneva Resort, though it's unclear exactly who she ended up meeting there because the Kennedy brothers were nowhere to be found. And there are some sources who tell a story about that weekend that's truly difficult to hear, so here's a trigger warning. Marilyn's room was wired with hidden cameras without her knowledge or her consent, and a party that was attended by Sinatra, mob boss Giancana, and their associates took a turn for the worst when Marilyn, who had been drinking excessively and taking pills, overdosed and was taken advantage of and physically assaulted by Sam Giancana and others. The exact details of what happened that night are pretty scarce, but it's safe to assume that this last weekend of her life was a scary and pretty traumatic one. It's unclear why exactly Sam Giancana and the Mafia would go so far as to end Marilyn's life after this incident, maybe to shut her up before she ever came forward with the story of what happened to her that night at the Calneva Resort, or maybe to get back at the Kennedy Brothers. But if the Mafia was behind Marilyn's death, just like they might have been to blame for JFK's and Robert's assassinations, They've done a good job at covering their tracks. Suspect number four, a member of Marilyn's entourage. As glamorous as her life seemed on the outside, Marilyn's home life was really maintained by three people. Her publicist, Patricia Newcomb, her psychiatrist, Ralph Greenson, and her housekeeper, Eunice Murray, each of whom were at her house sometime on the night she died. Now let's talk about why they are each, at the very, very least, suspicious. Her psychiatrist, Rolf Greenson, who Marilyn called up for an emergency therapy session on the day she died, prescribed her a large quantity of a new medication out of the blue, in an amount that could ultimately have claimed her life. Her publicist, Patricia Newcomb, disappeared for an entire year following Marilyn's death. Nobody could locate Newcomb, but in reality... She was traveling the world on a year-long cruise, which some believe the Kennedys paid for to keep her quiet. Some reports suggest that her housekeeper, Eunice Murray, was even washing Marilyn's bed linens when the police first arrived at the house the night Marilyn passed away. Eunice herself, although she wasn't very well off, took seven long trips to Europe in the years following Marilyn's death, possibly to avoid further questions about the night Marilyn died, and in fact, her story began changing some years later, which seemed to contradict her original story. And another character that popped in while the police were questioning the witnesses at Marilyn's house is her business manager, Inez Melson. Inez might have been the most sketchy of all of Marilyn's entourage, as she was reportedly stuffing unknown documents into trash bags, removing some of them from Marilyn's house, and burning others in the fireplace while the police were questioning people about Marilyn's death. Melson was even reported to have changed one of the locks on a filing cabinet 
in Monroe's home. What would have been the motive, though, for all of these individuals to work together and orchestrate possibly the biggest cover-up of all time? Well, it was either to cover their asses since the combination of medications that Greenson had prescribed to her prior to her death was lethal, or money, and a lot of it too. While Marilyn only left a few thousand to those closest to her, like her estranged mother and her half-sister, she ironically had it set up for Dr. Marion Chris, who, by the way, had forced her into a padded cell the year before she died, to receive 25% of her entire estate. Was this what they were all after? Were they all working together to get their cut of that fortune? It's at the very least suspicious that Greenson, Engelberg, and Murray didn't notify the police until 55 minutes after discovering Marilyn's lifeless body the night she died, and that their stories had shifted and changed and then contradicted one another. There's something there. Something happened in that time frame. What it was, I'm not sure, but something that should have been looked into more, but unfortunately wasn't, did go down late that night. And for our last suspect, suspect number five, Peter Lawford. I told you we'd be coming back to him. Remember Peter Lawford was Marilyn's former lover turned friend? Well, he was both the matchmaker between JFK and Marilyn Monroe and the last known person to speak to Monroe before she died. It was during this phone call that Marilyn was believed to have slowly faded away to her death as she was found clutching the telephone receiver that night. Lawford, who, by the way, happens to be the brother-in-law to both JFK and his brother Bobby, claims that he got a call from Marilyn very late that night, and when he picked it up, all she had to say was, quote, Say goodbye to Pat, say goodbye to Jack, and say goodbye to yourself, because you're a nice guy. End quote. Lawford has since reflected on this call that night and has expressed deep regret for ignoring this last plea for help since he literally did nothing after he got that strange goodbye call from Marilyn. But does that make him a murderer? No. A bad friend? Definitely. But several reports paint a much different picture of Peter Lawford. For one, some believe the Kennedys actually demanded that Peter be the one to get Marilyn under control after they got word of her threats to go public with details of their affairs. Second, the Sydney Morning Herald reported that Lawford had made quote-unquote special arrangements with Ralph Greenson, Monroe's psychiatrist, who shortly after wrote Marilyn a prescription for 60 secondal tablets, which was an unusually large amount, especially since he was seeing her almost daily. Third, reportedly, Robert Kennedy made a phone call to Peter Lawford on the night of Marilyn's death to find out if Marilyn was dead yet. 
And lastly, and most incriminating, on the night she died, Peter Lawford showed up at a close friend's and ex-LAPD officer's house in LA and admitted that he was so terrified of the public finding out about Marilyn's affairs with the Kennedy brothers that he had gone over to her house and cleaned up any incriminating evidence that he could find, but was scared that he had missed something. So he asked this friend to visit the scene and take a second look, but realizing the magnitude of the situation, this friend sent an associate of his to finish the job, and that friend did indeed find things that Lawford had left behind and removed them from Marilyn's home and discarded them. When I read this, I was fuming, because like the case is solved, right? It's unclear what time this all happened, but if it was after the cops had arrived and taken Marilyn's body away, why was the scene not secured? Apparently, police officers were even interested in questioning Lawford, but they found out that he was out of town, so they gave up and never formally questioned him again. And with that, we conclude our list of suspects. If you look hard enough, there are a lot, lot more, but these were the big names that stood out to me the most. And if you Google any one of them with Marilyn's name, you're likely gonna find several articles that claim that they were the one responsible for Marilyn's death. Marilyn held a lot of power, a lot more than she probably ever imagined she would have, and a lot more than these rich and powerful men were ever comfortable with her holding. So there was reason enough for one of them to intervene and shut her up or take her out. But who exactly is responsible? Whether that be JFK or his brother Bobby, the CIA, Sam Giancana and the Mafia, someone in Marilyn's close circle, or the last person she ever spoke with, Peter Lawford, is still something that remains a mystery today. All right, guys, we have got a lot to unpack here. There are a ton of suspects and they all seem to make sense, but they couldn't have all done it. So who did? Here's my take on who I think really played the biggest role in Marilyn Monroe's death. I think there are a million possibilities here, but let's keep it simple, either Marilyn Monroe is solely to blame and managed to take her own life that night, or someone else was there and only staged her death to look like a suicide. Scenario 1 Driven past her emotional threshold by the many tragedies of her life, Marilyn Monroe made the conscious decision to take an excessive amount of prescription drugs to end her own life at age 36. Marilyn Monroe had a really troubled life. I think if there's anything that's clear from this story, it's that. She started out being passed around from home to home when she was just a child, never having that foundation of love 
And then when she became a global icon, she was still passed around between powerful men who all had something to gain from her, and it wasn't love that they were offering. She was sexually assaulted at a very young age, and then again a week before her death. And those are only the times that we know about. Marilyn publicly struggled with her addiction to barbiturates and alcohol, which all seemed to spiral quickly near the end of her life because her career was slowing down, she was suffering from depression, she was mixing her cocktail of prescription pills with alcohol, she was beginning to show signs of aging and fading beauty, she was being sued for $750,000 by the studio that helped make her, she was being rejected by the two men she had come to love the most, and she had attempted or at least threatened suicide a number of times before. So to anyone walking in on the scene of a naked Marilyn in bed, no clear signs of a struggle or foul play with the empty pill bottles littering her nightstand, the only rational conclusion would be that this woman had taken her own life. And you can't blame them for coming to that conclusion, really. Should they have investigated her death more and questioned more of the witnesses? Yes. Should they have blocked off the crime scene and denied anyone access to her house? Yes. But unfortunately, they'd already made their minds up, and the autopsy report only confirmed their suspicions. Probable suicide. The coroner found high amounts of the pills that were actually prescribed to her in quantities that would kill somebody. And so, as heartbreaking and devastating as it is to learn of a celebrity succumbing to the pressures around them, Marilyn Monroe was just another victim of her own undoing, and made the decision, however sudden it was, to end her life on August 5th, 1962. But maybe that's just what they wanted the public and the police to believe, and someone or someones orchestrated the entire thing and set the scene up to look like a suicide. And the police, and most of us, fell for it. Scenario 2. One of the many powerful men she involved herself with had too much to lose in keeping her alive, so someone intervened and had Marilyn Monroe killed. First, there were three more suspicious things that I read about the suicide scene that don't make any sense at all to me. Number one, Marilyn was found completely naked in bed, and sources close to her insist that she always slept with the bra on in fear that her breasts would someday sag. Number two, the first officer on the scene that night, Sergeant Clemens of the LAPD, has suggested that the entire scene that night looked staged to him, which made him skeptical that suicide was what ended Marilyn's life. And number three, there was no glass of water or any other liquids found at the scene of Marilyn's death. And with no running water available in her room, how was she able to swallow down the alleged dozens of pills? 
When you look at the possible suspects in someone's murder, three of the things that you need to prove are the means, motive, and opportunity, or a way to kill someone, a reason for doing so, and the right timing. For most of the suspects that I've named, they all seem to fit the bill in some major way. For example, when I think of means or having the tools and the physical ability to kill, my mind immediately goes to Sam Giancana and the Mafia. Because if there's one thing they do best, it's getting people killed. And when I think of motive or a reason for her death, I look immediately to the Kennedy brothers. The motive is absolutely there, as Marilyn posed a threat to the Kennedy family's political dynasty. And specifically, she was threatening to expose the secrets in a matter of days. But it's harder for me to prove opportunity or means for them. But could they have hired somebody? Easily. And then when I think of opportunity or timing of the murder, I instantly think of all of those in her entourage that had unlimited access to Marilyn and her home, her psychiatrist, her publicist, and her housekeeper. But when I try and put myself in a detective's or a judge's mindset and examine the case from the outside, it gets harder to prove that any of the suspects that we've covered is solely responsible for Marilyn's death. Can they all make sense? Yes, to a degree they can, but can you really prove any of them? Well, not after the investigation was basically botched from the beginning and labeled a probable suicide before even questioning everyone close to the star. And while I mostly make these episodes for entertainment and fun, this case is gone a little bit differently. I am becoming obsessive with this case. I keep reading new things about it, and the more I read on it, the deeper I go, and just when I think I have the answer for who I think killed Marilyn, I read something that completely contradicts my theory. Well, there's just so much information out there than I have even had the time to cover with you. I couldn't have possibly covered every detail of the case in one episode, and there's literally an entire podcast series on her death. It's actually a really amazing and super in-depth 12-part podcast. It's called The Killing of Marilyn Monroe. I'll link to it on our website. And I listened to the whole thing from beginning to end while I was preparing for this episode, but there was one thing that bothered me about the podcast, I'll just be honest. They began the series by saying that they were going to give their opinion at the very end of who they believe killed Marilyn. And when I got to the end, they never actually named one specific person. So I am not going to make that same mistake and leave you hanging because the person I think is the most suspicious and who I believe had the biggest role in Marilyn Monroe's death is suspect number five, Peter Lawford. Motive? Protect his family. The Kennedys, because remember, he's their brother-in-law. JFK and Bobby allegedly sent him to do the dirty work for them and calm Marilyn down as she was this ticking time bomb that would explode and destroy the family's reputation at any given moment. He even admitted to cleaning up evidence at her house that pointed to the Kennedy brothers' affairs with Marilyn. 
What's to say he didn't clean up more than that? Means? He was in contact with Marilyn's psychiatrist who just so happened to prescribe her more pills than he ever typically did, but why? What did Peter Lawford say to Greenson to make him write up that final prescription? Or how much did he offer him? Even if Marilyn did take the pills voluntarily, is it not their fault for making sure that she had the access to them? And the opportunity? Who did Marilyn trust more than Peter Lawford? They had known each other for about 11 years. He was the one who introduced her to the Kennedys. They had even frequented each other's houses and he lived in the same city as her. And again, he confessed to having been at her house the night that she died. Here is how the whole ordeal went down in my head. And again, this is just my theory. On the night of August 4th, 1962, Marilyn can't get through to JFK or Bobby, but she does get a hold of Peter. She tells him to share her threats with the president and his brother that she is going to go public with her story of their affairs unless they come and talk with her in person. Lawford delivers the message and either JFK or Bobby or both tell him, look, you got us into this mess. Now, if you want to stay in this family, you got to get us out. Go to her and calm her down. Do what you have to do to protect our family name. But make sure you leave no trace behind that could tie us to her. Lawford somehow convinces Greenson, Marilyn's psychiatrist, to up her dose, maybe lying or exaggerating her condition, maybe paying him off with Kennedy money. Greenson sees Marilyn and suggests the new medication, and she gets it filled. Lawford reaches out to get in touch with Marilyn, and when he does see her in person, he's the one who delivers the heartbreaking news about the president and Bobby. They are cutting ties with her forever, but he deliberately does it in a cold and detached way so that when he leaves her alone, he knows that she's going to take those new pills on her nightstand and end her life then maybe he calls Marilyn's home phone and talks to her until he knows that she's drifting away, which is why she was still clutching the phone when they found her body. He later makes up the story about Marilyn calling him, and how suspicious is it that he claims that she actually said out loud, quote, and say goodbye to yourself because you're a nice guy, end quote. It sounds more to me, like he was trying to paint this picture of himself in the police's mind from the very start. Then he sneaks into her home, checks to make sure she's actually dead, and then takes what he can find. He then leaves the house to head to his friends nearby where he panics and feels that he's failed and has left something behind that can link him or the Kennedys to Marilyn's death. So his friend hires someone to go and clean up the rest of the scene, and the rest is history. Did you follow that at all? <laughs> Did I actually solve this case? No, but really, in my mind, this makes complete sense. I don't know if I sound crazy to anybody. Whatever he got out of this, I hope it was worth it. Because in my mind, he is the most guilty of all of the suspects. And how he was not questioned by investigators, I'll probably go to my grave never knowing. But I wonder if this all might have turned out differently if they had.
To this day, nearly 60 years after Marilyn Monroe's death, new details and stories are popping up surrounding the death of one of the biggest stars to have ever lived, sparking endless conspiracy theories and infuriating others who, like me, will fight to search for the answers until we know for certain what or who killed the legendary Marilyn Monroe. So, Crack Pops, what camp are you in? Are you in Camp A, where Marilyn only knew loss and abandonment from all of those she ever came to love, which ultimately caused her to spin out of control with her mental health and her dependence on drugs, taking her own life at the young age of 36? Or are you in Camp B, where Marilyn had gotten so tangled up in chasing the most powerful men in the world that she threatened them by holding too much power? And ultimately, what killed her wasn't a cocktail of prescription drugs, but a plot to protect one of the most notorious and cursed families in American history. The Kennedys. Thank you guys so much for returning and listening to another episode of Crack Pop. For pictures, videos, and source material for this episode, you can visit our website at crackpopnetwork.com. You can also find us on Instagram at crackpopnetwork, but I have a huge favor to ask of you. My birthday is in 10 days, so... For my birthday, could you please head on over to Apple Podcasts, regardless of where you're listening, and subscribe and leave us a review. It would mean so much to me. I will return next week with the very first episode of My Family's Ghost Story, where you will get the first glimpse into the real-life hauntings that my family and I actually experienced. See you soon.